Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on BlogTalkRadio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you've just clicked the link on my webpage or you're listening on BlogTalkRadio.com or even the BlogTalkRadio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Now that the U.S. government has lost its AAA debt rating from Standard & Poor's that we, by the way, have held consistently since 1941, nobody is quite sure what comes next. We truly are in uncharted territory. But one thing is for sure, there's a lot of speculation, finger-pointing, and fear-mongering in the air right now. Is it really part two of the global financial collapse, or are there some viable solutions? Or just another round of pass the buck? 
we really could use a measure of truth here. Well, here to help us to make sense of it all, Charles D. Ellison, Washington correspondent for the Philadelphia Tribune, chief political correspondent for Politic365.com, and author of the critically acclaimed urban political thriller, Tantrum. Charles Ellison, welcome back to A Measure of Truth. Hey, how's it going? How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great, man. It's been a roller coaster ride these last few weeks or so, man. Tell us what in the world is going on. Right. <laughs> so it's quite a bit going on these days. And, uh, I mean, at least it, it cooled down a bit in the nation's capital, you know, weather-wise. But um, it's it's been it's been a hot mess uh, over the past, uh, really over the past several months. If yeah. you look at how this is, you know, how this is all sort of stand out, you know, in terms of the negotiations, in terms of particularly with the debt ceiling debate, which a lot of your listeners probably are very familiar with. Um, if they're not familiar with the exact details and the specifics, they're definitely familiar with uh, some of the dynamics and the personalities surrounding that debate, uh, which kind of had us on the uh, right on the edge, right on the cliff, uh, so to speak. So, you know, yeah, Michael, it's it's you got a situation here where it's, you know, a lot of observers are, are charging that you have a very dysfunctional, very divided government and a very dysfunctional, very divided uh, uh, Congress. Uh, it's very partisan, and it's going to get even more partisan, and you might see a lot more gridlock coming about, you know, as we head, like, further into the 2012 elections. And, that, and that's very problematic for getting a lot of things done and, and essentially uh, trying to uh, come to some, some agreements on some real key pieces of policy, um, including stuff like the debt ceiling. Uh, but now we're heading into another phase with this uh, Joint Select Committee on Deficit Reduction. They call it a super committee on the budget. And now they're getting ready to determine that the picks have already been made. You already have this, this a, a bipartisan, what's called bicameral committee. It's bicameral meaning, you know, it's members mm. from both the House and the Senate. And uh, it's, you basically got six people from the Senate, six people from the House, uh, three from each each of the parties on each side of the uh, of, of, of Capitol Hill, and so they have to make um, some very tough decisions about about how much to cut from the federal budget, and so how much is going to be cut, we're not sure. Uh, we know the White House is making a play for its original uh, recommendation, which is about four trillion dollars worth of cuts. This is before they. Uh, you know, they they basically went into an impasse and then finally did pass the deal, which was around like about two, a little bit over two trillion dollars. Um, but because of that standard of poor's down rate that you talked about just a few moments ago, mm-hmm. which took us from AAA down to AA plus, um, now uh, standard and poor's had had basically said that they don't, you know, that they they want more dramatic or more aggressive um, austerity measures and cuts in the. Um, in, in the federal budget, and so, but also S and P did also say, hey, you know, we don't know if austerity, austerity measures are enough. You know, you also need job growth, and so, uh, early, last week, earlier last week, you had a uh, congressman out of uh, Connecticut, Dan Larson. He's the uh, chair of the Democratic Caucus, and he recommended, you know, starting creating a jobs super committee. You know, a, a committee that would be a joint select committee that would just focus squarely on job growth, and so mm-hmm. or integrating a very aggressive job growth component into the Joint Select Committee on Deficit Reduction, basically the point being that you can't have deficit reduction without job growth because, you know, without job growth, people aren't paying taxes, 
there's nothing going into uh, the government coffers. That there's no revenue for, for really for government, you know, to sustain itself. That's how government sustains itself from people being employed and paying taxes and corporations pretty much doing the same thing. So, uh, you know, it's 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 a uh, it's a lot going on right now in DC. There's just a lot of uncertainty. Um, the markets have kind of, at least over the past couple of days, have kind of stabilized a bit. But on top of that, you're dealing with you know the uncertainty right now and in, uh, in Europe. You know, people are not too sure about what's going on in Europe right now with that situation. You know, with all the politics that are in play right now, Charles, um, you know, does a real solution or a great idea even have a chance in today's political structure because of the lines that are already drawn in the sand? Uh, it's it's very difficult to, to say uh, if, if that is the case. You know, on some levels you can kind of say, well, there is a sort of a silver lining I mean, I'm sorry, silver lining in all of this, and that's um, the fact that whereas things are gridlocked, whereas it appears dysfunctional, um, there wasn't a complete breakdown of the process in the system. So on one on one level, you can you can say you can kind of point to the 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 institutions that we have and say, well, you know, hey, um, we we. We, we did this. You know, at least it was an impasse. It, we got it done at the 11th hour, but we did it without basically going to war, literally, or, or, or basically going to blows. But you're right. At the same time, it's because of all this, um, all of these, these partisan extremes, it's, it's creating a, a very problematic situation where you can, you know, one, you, you're, you're creating these unnecessary crises. The death right. killing debate was an unnecessary crisis. It was something Absolutely. that didn't need to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that is, is, is pretty procedural and perfunctory. It, it happens on a regular basis. Pretty much, um, it's, it's been like that for uh, uh, for the past uh, 50 years, uh, 50 plus years, in terms of just raising the debt ceiling. It's something that that you do want governments have debt, and it's just a matter of just knowing how to manage it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, when you have a combination of these unnecessary crises. You also have a a major campaign on the horizon. You know, we're we're going into a presidential exactly. election right. cycle, and then you have a pretty much a a level of of discourse and rhetoric that focuses on partisan talking points. Mm-hmm. So you know, everybody kind of goes into their corner and is pretty much comfortable with their own extreme, and just is comfortable going into their own ideological silo. Uh, that that's a recipe for for serious stress. Uh, on on our political system and on our society, and it, it can be a recipe for for potential disaster on some levels. And so, um, and that that's what that's essentially what what kind of feeds into the uncertainty that we're feeling right now. Now, let, let's talk about why and why was the debt ceiling? You think something that they decided to have this big conflict over? Because, I mean, you know, raising the debt ceiling, considering our current state of affairs, was a foregone conclusion in most people's minds. But all of a sudden, it became this big issue, and all of a sudden, it was a platform for politics. How did that happen? Yeah, it, it had been something that had been in the works for quite some time, uh, particularly since uh, President Obama was inaugurated into office, and Republicans trying to essentially find something, some issue that they could latch on to mm-hmm. that could that could essentially um, that that could increase their political stock and their leverage, exactly. while at the same time uh, diminish uh, President Obama's standing and guarantee that he would only get one term. And they felt that the debt ceiling debate, because a lot of the a lot of the conversation since the 2008 um, election 
had started focusing in on on the deficit. Um, had started focusing in on on because because we were in this recession, and suddenly um, you also had uh, issues um, uh, and and basically debt issues and budget problems as well going you know kind of happening globally with the with the global recession. And so they felt like this was there was an opening here, there was an opportunity, you know, to use the deficit, uh, the the debt ceiling as as the issue to kind of open up. Uh, a larger conversation on the, the national debt. You know, I mean, suddenly you were seeing in polls, you were seeing people paying attention to the national debt right. in a way that, you know, was was really unusual and, and on some levels kind of unprecedented. Mm-hmm. I mean, for particularly modern American politics, you know, normally people will focus on, you know, when, especially when you have a recession, people are, are focusing on uh, on their quality of life and on jobs. Um but you know, particularly you know, you started seeing it back as as far as 2007, 2008, you know, because you had the uh, the presidential election at that time was aligning with the start, the official start of the recession, and so you know, mm. suddenly there was something bubbling in the polls where you, you saw people actually paying attention to debt issues, and so Republicans took that as well, that must be a major priority but even even still polls were also showing that people's number one concern was their quality of life um and and jobs and unemployment you know even as as the recession set in and so um but they they felt it was a calculation worth or, or risk worth taking and so they went ahead and did it and um you know once again you had to, you had a situation here where where partisan talking points became very effective and you know people basically went into their corners yeah and, and it's a shame because they they got the Americas, they got America's attention because of fear first of all, not the issue itself. And there's too much of that going on in politics right now. They're they're sort of stirring up the fear and the emotions, but leaving the issue far behind and using that to push, you know, politics over the edge in the direction they need them to go. But behind the scenes, underneath this veil of um, what we think is the issue, are the real. Um, you know, under the table deals that are going on that are more important than the um, the state of affairs of the American people. And I think this is one of the things that have, you know, has really gotten a lot of us very upset and concerned with our government right now and how they're handling such a, a critical, a critical point in our history where we need to recover and the whole world is watching. Yeah, you know that, that's um, that's why you saw this this roller coaster ride that took place last week in the markets, where you know at one point the market dipped uh, 500 points, uh, 500 plus points, uh, and then you know even the uh, the Thursday before you had that big rally on Friday, uh, you know it dipped like another 400 points. You know, so you, you had this this just this situation, this this scenario. Where, you know, people have always looked to the American model of governance um, as something that's very stable. Um, and something that's always very sure and certain, and, and that wasn't the case with this death ceiling debate. And so that that left a lot of obviously it left investors spooked. And you know, Wall Street's not the only gauge of of a country's progress. It shouldn't be the only measure of uh, of 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 society's you know level of productivity. You know, obviously, I mean there are other indicators as well. I mean, just going out on the streets, you know, people just you know in, at the grocery store were worried about this death ceiling debate and what it meant. Um, I, you know, I tend to think that, you know, based on everything that I was saying, I think that the and, and based on the folks that I was talking to, you know, I talked to a few kind of GOP strategists who, um, and some folks on the Hill who were talking off record, and really the, the downgrade, the standard and poor downgrade, um, and remember now that Mitch, uh, Fitch, uh, sorry, Fitch's and Moody's 
uh, are the two remaining credit agencies. Right. And they, had, they still have maintained <laughs> the AAA status. Exactly. So they, haven't, was... they haven't called it yet, and they haven't given any indication, mm-hmm. uh, at least not yet, that they're mm-hmm. going to downgrade the AAA status down to AA+. So this is more a symbolic one, S&P's right. part. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of them were saying that really downgrade, that the credit downgrade was the real goal. You know, a lot of Republicans, even your most extreme sort of Tea Party Mad Hatters, they they mm. had enough sense not to let the country's finances go into default. They had enough sense not to let that happen. But mm. they felt that you know having a downgrade happen was just enough right. where where you could you can inflict enough political damage on the president. You can inflict enough pain on folks because people are gonna are gonna notice um, problems in terms of in terms of their quality of life. They're going to notice the prices of everything going up uh, because with a credit downgrade like that, um, basically there's going to be increased costs and and companies are going to essentially uh, transfer those costs to the consumer. And the Mm -hmm. consumer, who also is a voter, is going to end up absorbing all of that pain uh, because we're just going to start seeing increased prices at the grocery store and and all of our purchases and everything that we buy and then, and and also in, in various interest rates and mortgage rates, I mean, everything's just going to go up now. And it's going to be a very slow and gradual process. But they were saying that 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 would that would that could potentially inflict the kind of fatal political damage that they want for President Obama. And so, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and Charles, I, I to, you, you actually said that exactly that was, what uh, I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for someone to just flat out and say that this was orchestrated. You know. It may turn out to be a lot worse and a bigger slap than the American people could take or want to bear. But the fact of the matter is this was allowed to happen. This was allowed to happen. And and what's behind it is, again, what you just said is to, to hurt uh, the Democratic Party and, of course, President Obama. But, you know, the biggest hit comes to us, you know, and, um, you know, we're, we're waiting now to try to figure out exactly when these things are going to occur that we will see the um, the pain and the end result of this downgrade. Do you actually see this in the foreseeable future? Because I wanted to wait on this show to see if there really will start to see a trickle of this kind of impact just yet. You mean as far as the uh, the downgrade? You um, sort of broke up a little bit there, Michael. I'm sorry. Oh, that question sure. again? Yeah, yeah, I wanted to see if we would actually be able to see some type of effect by now, even after a week or so. Would there be things in the news that we would start to hear about? Will we see inching up of food prices, just like you said? Will we see, um, you know, interest rates start to change, on mortgages, yeah. so forth and so on? Will we see it, banks tightening up on small business loans? You know, things right, like it, that. It's still, from my understanding, you know, it's still kind of early, to, too early to tell at this point. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we may start seeing changes. Uh, very gradual changes over the next uh, few months. From what I'm being told, I'm not an economist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a political animal and, and, and political junkie by by training. <laughs> but you know, from what I from what I'm told, it, it's something that I've been asking a lot of economists and financial analysts. And and so what I'm being told is, you know, you're going to start seeing you know gradual changes over the next uh, two to three months. Um, we're already starting to see now one interesting sort of uh, uh, barometer of the economy, gas prices. Gas prices have actually been kind of, if you notice, they've been kind of going down a few cents. And that's just because the oil and gas industry is bracing for reduced demand because people will basically have prices of everything else going up. 
people will have, you know, will feel like they'll have less money to spend on gas. And so uh, because of that, that that will thereby trigger reduced demand. And so as a result, um, you'll have, like, you know, they'll, speculators will take the gas prices down. So, yeah, that's that's one sort of immediate uh, reaction to um, to to that that double A plus um, uh, rating that that Standard and Poor's imposed on um, on on the U S. So I mean that's that's one thing. And, and you might start seeing. I mean you might start noticing things here and there. A lot of different retailers sort of bracing for mm-hmm. the increase in rates uh, and and an increase in taxes. You'll you'll start seeing the prices of certain things going up. Whether you're at, you're at a clothing store or a grocery store you're starting to hear sort of anecdotal reports of that now. And that's primarily, you know, that's kind of like uh, retail is kind of bracing for the impact of that of that cost burden. And, uh, and so you might start seeing a little bit of it now in terms of it being even more pronounced. Um, you, know, you know, in the next, like, two or three months, you might start seeing that. Wow. You know, I, you know I've also got um... – Someone who is more of an expert in in the financial realm as well, and uh, I want to go ahead and take this opportunity to bring him on and um, see if we can bring some clarity into focus on this as well. With the economy and the state of the middle class dominating most national conversations, Aaron Smith's accessible nine-step plan to take control of your financial future will resonate whether you're just starting out or you find yourself midlife with concerns about your retirement. Aaron Smith, author of In the Black, Live Faithfully, Prosper Financially, even in today's economy, will help transform the way you think about retirement and financial planning. But today, for some right now answers, highlighted by A Measure of Truth, we bring you Aaron Smith. Welcome back to A Measure of Truth. Hello, Aaron. You're on. Hello. Hi, Aaron. Yes, this is not Aaron, but I am actually an expert in economics and investment oh, strategy. Really? What happened? If like, to... if you, yes, I am actually the leading expert in the world on the economic collapse, uh, as proven by my written track record. I predicted this depression five years ago in a book. Oh, in, in hold detail. on for one second, sir. You have to identify yourself and tell us who you are. Well, well I'll tell you, and the media actually banned me. Uh, my name is Mike Stathis. I wrote a book called America's Financial Apocalypse in 2006. I predicted the bailout of Fannie and Freddie, Dow 6,000, real estate real estate prices collapsing to 35%, all of the things that have happened. I was talking about the entitlement crisis with health care, Medicare, Medicaid, everything. The media banned me, and they continue to ban me because they don't want people to know the truth. They're paid, for the, paid off hacks for the corporations in Wall Street. This is why all these experts you see on TV – if they if they really have insightful news and analysis, why is everyone getting smoked? Right? Why are they always wrong? Why did they claim the recession they did two years ago? The recession has not ended. This is a fact. Okay. Look, Mike. I hate to break in on you. Mike, I hate to break in on you. I hate to break in on you. I hate to break in on the radio because apparently uh, you won't listen to other people and give them an opportunity to direct you. Um, uh, we just have to do some research on you, Mike. I know you can still hear me. Uh, maybe another time, but we were actually looking for someone else to come on at this point. So um, we'll just have to have this conversation, hopefully at a later date, after we had a chance to research you and find out exactly who you are. 
Sorry about that, Charles. I, I could have sworn I had the guy already. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I generally get my crazies on the other shows, but um, hopefully um, this guy is legit and maybe he has really something to share with us. And um, you know, um, but you you definitely will have to to listen <laughs> to um, direction because this is my show, and um, you know we don't know what you're about to say, but I need to understand what your platform is and where you stand ahead of time before we allow you to come on. And I hope you can understand that. No, understood. Yeah, no, understood. Okay. From my time on uh, Sirius XM, I know how important that is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, Don, I guess that's your cue to give Aaron a call. <laughs> but, um, you know, one of the other things we wanted to talk about, um, Charles, as well, is um, we, there's a lot of finger pointing going on as well. So we want to um, understand how much of this is actually um, true, um, what is valid. Some folks want to just blame it on tea partiers, but I, I'm blaming everybody at this point. But I just want to hear what your take is on the reason why it got to this point. We talked a little bit about it, but let's talk about some of the the actual the steps in politics, the the, um, the steps that led us to actually this debacle. Yeah, you know, it's there's a variety of reasons for why we where where we are now. I mean, one is just the uh, the the, the level of shock and sort of disbelief that a certain segment of the American population is still in uh, after the election of Barack Obama that that had a that had a lot to do with it. Obviously, um, there were a lot of things that had been in play and in motion for some time before uh, Obama was elected. I mean, it's just it's just sort of just these big massive uh, societal shifts and this uh, that w- what we're going through right now in terms of. Um, the economy in terms of this recession is really just a big reconfiguration of the economy as we know it. I mean, it's just going to be a sort of a different type of society, a different type of life, a different way of doing things. Uh, for example, in terms of the, the discussion that's going on right now, the debate about public sector workers, and and you have Republicans um, just sort of engaging in a, in a very aggressive all-out assault on public sector workers and public sector worker unions, you know that that's all kind of planned in terms of you know changing the uh, you know the what, what the workforce changing the whole notion or the whole concept of an employee of a worker, and and also changing the whole notion and concept of of a livable wage and what that means, um, and and essentially it's it's having people do more for less, and so um, so that, hence you have this this this. This new with this whole assault, it's not just a part. It's not just a a a, a political move by Republicans so they can sort of gain leverage uh, come 2012 uh, and trying to find a way. You know, that's part of it in terms of trying to find a way to to hamper uh, uh, Democrats and and their political ammunition in the 2012 presidential election because they rely very heavily on on union mobilization. Uh, but it's just all part of sort of a larger plan, a larger scheme in terms of. Um, you know, slowly kind of eating away at worker rights or eating away at, I mean, right now, I mean, you have a situation where a lot of folks, instead of having an hour lunch, you have 30-minute lunch. You know, who came up with that? So, you know, but, you know, a lot of people have 30-minute lunches now. I mean, it's so bad. Right. I mean, even Chris, Chris Rock commented on it in one of his stand-up routines. Um, but but that's just, you know, he was just basically uh, the telling people that, you know, this, this, is what's, this is what's here. This is, we're in the, this is the new normal. And so, um, 
you have all these changes that have been taking place that have been, that have been planned and have been predetermined, and so you know now that's um, it's it's playing out in our politics and the and the election cycles that you know it, it played out. It, it turns into the 2010 election cycle, and we're going to start seeing it. You know, you, you saw it last week, in fact, and uh, during a rally that Mitt Romney had uh, in Iowa right before the Iowa straw poll, and uh, Romney was was rather. Um, you know, honest and candid about it. He's like, you know, corporations are people. He was getting heckled uh, by some some folks at this Iowa uh, at this Iowa town hall, and he was basically saying, he was basically saying, hey, corporations are people. Leave corporations alone. <laughs> you know, so that that kind of sets that, that kind of lets you know that you know what's what's coming down the pike and, and what interests are are being protected or or or. or what interests are being represented here, you know, particularly as we have this election come up. But this is nothing new. I mean, this is stuff we've been seeing for mm-hmm. quite some time in American politics. I mean, it's just that um, it's just a matter of kind of having it, conditioning people so they they can start accepting that this is this is as, as I said before the new normal, and and you should get right. adjusted to it and then accept it. And so so that's that's the kind of the phase that we're going into and. And so this next election will determine that. I mean, you, you can make the argument, too, that, that electing President Obama, and I was actually having this conversation with a political scientist um, the other day, you make that, that, you can make the argument that, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, it is somewhat um, interesting, let's, let's put it like that, that you have this recession happen. At the same time, you also have your first African-American president and, it's just kind of weird, you know. At the same time, you have your first black president. You have uh, a quarter of the black middle class evaporate. Um, exactly. You know, and, and now you have a situation where um, this year alone, you'll probably have half a million public sector workers being laid off or losing their jobs or or um, leaving the public sector um, due to attrition uh, and pressure on them. So, a, a quarter of the public sector workforce is African American on the state, local, and federal level. Um, so it, it's like, you know, but but you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of African Americans, particularly, you know, aren't you know aren't seeing this. They're not seeing these big, massive sea changes that are taking place. Um, some of us are still kind of caught up in the euphoria of the first black president, and um, so it just comes at a very interesting time. You know, mm-hmm. you kind of uh, you know, you you have people so caught up in that euphoria that they're not paying attention to these very uh, significant changes that are taking place that that are having a very negative impact uh, on certain segments of the population. So, um, right. you know, we were kind of talking about that the other day. How you know mm-hmm. it was very interesting exactly. timing. How that all right. happened. Nothing against President Obama. It's just very interesting mm-hmm. timing. How it all happened. And once again, these are things that have been in, been in the works for for quite some time, for years. But it's just that we're just seeing a much more aggressive assault that's taking place um, uh, these past uh, these past couple of election cycles, and also it. It became much more pronounced as well in terms of the rhetoric uh, during this uh, debt ceiling debate. No, oh, okay. Well, I think we do have Aaron on at this point. And um, Aaron, are you there? I see you there, but I don't. <laughs> Aaron Smith, are you on with us? Hello. I can hear you. Okay, very good. Okay. All right, I don't Aaron. think you could hear me, but I could hear you. Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, I, I'm glad to finally have you on. And um, we were just talking about the, the current state. I don't know how much of the show you've 
been able to hear. Um, but we've been talking about the current state of the economy beyond the politics and what the real impact is of our, our current um, financial stresses that um, are shown in the market as well as um, what can people, you know, look for down the road and how will they have to change their game plan? <laughs> you talk about game plan. I, you know, actually, uh, my wife and myself, were, 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 you know, we were really talking about uh, change of game plan. Actually, I'm in, in the process of writing a new book uh, called, and it's titled, or will be titled, Reposition. Mm. And where we are right now, it's certainly important that we have to understand that we are on our own. Financially, we have to start taking responsibility. Um, if you start to look at what's going on in this country, and it's been going on for, for years in terms of the reduction of pensions in our, uh, in, in our corporations, you're starting to see now even in the, prob- in the uh, public sector where the pensions that were traditionally there and they were traditionally uh, solid, they're now requiring employees to contribute to these pensions. You also see where many of these corporations are getting away, and this is also the public sector, they're getting away from pensions uh, or they're freezing their pensions and they're converting, uh, wanting you to convert your assets to something that's called a 401k plan. And with these 401k plans, these corporations have the ability to opt in or opt out as regards to matching your contributions and contributions in these plans. Mm-hmm. But also these 401k plans are not managed. Uh, you, you're, asking, you're asking people who are tra- traditionally not investors, you're asking mm-hmm. savers like you and I, who, uh, i.e. maybe savers, to understand how to invest in 401k plans. And that's a, you know, that's a challenge in itself. So that being said, where we're going right now is to personal responsibility, making sure that you have your ears uh, uh, to the to the, to the wall, make sure that you understand what's going on day-to-day, not only in our financial world, but also in our political world. So you've got to be up with you got to really right now be aware of what's going on financially. And if you're not, then it's going to challenge you as you, as you continue to age. Now, as we look at the um, the current um, roller coaster ride in the market this last week and even um, the um, seemingly recover of the the market um, today, uh, what does this really mean? How does this really impact um, people who have you know pension plans and their own investments that are you know grouped into um, various types of um, you know financial instruments? Well, I always tell people it's important that we increase our financial IQ, our financial education. That is so important. And I know in my family, and many of your listeners uh, as well as their families, we didn't grow up. I know in my family, I'm 46 years old, and I didn't grow up understanding stocks, bonds, real estate. My parents didn't discuss it at our household, nor did I learn that in school. And even going to one of the finest colleges in this country, I didn't learn it either there. I didn't learn personal finance. Right now, it's so important with looking at the ups and downs of the stock market, understanding that it's important for each one of us, first of all, not to panic, not to not to lose your cool. Uh, but it's also important to understand why the markets go up and down. We do have economic cycles. We do have storms. I call, you know, I, 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 I generally relate financial 
uh, or stock market performance or stock market non-performance to the weather. You know, we have the four seasons. And economies do go up, economies go down. But there are things right now actually in our country that are dictating the financial markets, and it's really a huge unrest in our political system that's upsetting the financial markets. I don't know where it's going to end, but I always tell people not to panic and become financially literate. Mm. And um, tell us a little bit about um, the job of the guidance that you would get of a financial analyst and someone who could help to understand what your goals are and what you're trying to achieve in the time frame and how they can actually help you to find either a conservative um, route to that or um, help you to understand some risks so that you can, you know, leverage a little bit of that into your portfolio as well. Yeah, I, I think the easiest way to explain it, uh, and, and I've done this in many ways and I've tried to, tried to figure out how do you, how do you get the average uh, American to understand financial assistance, financial counseling, financial coaching? And, and the best way that I can explain it is relating it to a physician, a doctor. Instead of having a medical doctor who's there to guide you, to find out, in other words, to, to get an idea of what's going on with you, uh, and then, uh, then bringing a solution, a, a, a prescription to you, to help you feel better, to make sure that you stay on track with with your weight, stay on track with your medication or non-medication, but to keep you healthy. A financial uh, advisor or financial coach does exactly that. It's just different in the sense that they're helping you with your money. And it all relates to what your goals are. We all have goals. We all have dreams. Uh, let no one fool you. We all have them. And we all want the best for our families. That being said, some of us are closer to our goals uh, at, at, at some point in our lives where we may, be, uh, we may be older. Some of us are younger. So that being said, it's important to choose the investments. The portfolios need to be adjusted as such based on your age. The younger you are, the more stock portfolio you should have. The older you are, the more bond portfolio you should have in its simplest terms. But it's also important to understand if you just can't get it, you just don't like it, you just don't feel comfortable with where you are going financially, it's always, always important to find someone that you trust, you feel comfortable with to help guide you there. It's, it's worth its weight in gold to get good, good, advi good advice because it helps you relieve uh, your stress or your variation, those things that we are generally challenged with when we are really confused about our money. Right. And uh, I think the problem is, too, is a lot of people think that even though they know it it takes money to make money, they're not, a, they're not interested in paying money to help someone to educate them on money. And they're always well, worried that they're, they're losing out on doing that as opposed to just taking some of the safe routes that, you know, generally people think that it's a good thing to have um, CDs and um, some of these other instruments that aren't even beating inflation. So tell us a little bit about what that misconception is and how people are often misled by, you know, slick marketing. Yeah, I, I really, and that's a very good question. Uh, many people are misled or just don't understand the, the importance of paying for good value when it comes to their money because they think it's really basic and simple. They don't really understand all of the strategies that are available to them to make their life better financially. 
They just really can't understand that. And it takes it takes uh, 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 someone going through that process, understanding the value that an advisor brings to them. And unfortunately, it's it's generally the wealthy who really clearly get that picture, where mm-hmm. the middle class. When when I speak of the middle class, I'm speaking of people who are who are who are trained, let's just say, and I, I use the word trained, uh, uh, not lightly. In in my family and many other families, we we are we are taught to to get good grades uh, in school. We're taught to uh, uh, do very well in school so that we can go to the next level, which is uh, higher education, to go to school. And we're taught to get a good job. Uh, and then when you have that good job, you have good benefits, and those good benefits lead you to the roses uh, or the golden uh, uh, watch at the end of a 30-year career. Ladies and gentlemen, those days are gone. Those days are no longer with us. So once the consumer, the middle class, starts to understand that those days are really no longer with us, I will, I would say they're going to find themselves too people who can help them, like a money mentor or a financial coach, to help them put them in position to be financially better. And we are seeing it in our practice happen every single day because a lot of people are getting really upset and really concerned about the equity markets, not only presently, but actually from 2001, 9-11-2001, even to the present, we've been challenging our country economically. Mm. So where do you see, um, based on the current state of affairs of our economy with the downgrade um, from Moody's, and how, how do you see this impacting um, Americans, and, and what is a strategy to help them to be able to understand the steps that they need to start thinking about and taking in the near future to better position themselves? Well, the impact the impact is going to be what you want the impact is going to be. If you want it to impact, if you want the negative that's going on in our country, the negative, the noise, if you allow that to affect your psyche, to uh, affect uh, the things that you're doing in your, your life negatively, it will. I'm here to tell you that there are opportunities right now for each one of us. There's opportunities. This is a, a wake-up call. This mm. is a repositioning of your mindset, not only your money, but your mindset. And there are strategies that we can use. And one of the strategies that I always preach and I always talk about is that the first thing that you have to do when you want to be better financially is you've got to gather your documents. You've got to put all of your financial stuff on the table, and you have to get organized. Mm-hmm. Once you're able to get yourself organized, it's almost like a room that you walk into it and you see all this clutter, and you're saying, wow, where am I going to start first? And then what happens is there's so much clutter, you just say, you know what, I'll, I'll put that off to next week. I'll put that off to next month. And then all of a sudden a year goes by. What happens is you have to right now say, I'm going to unclutter my financial life by, first of all, getting organized. And if I don't know how to get myself organized financially, then I'm going to ask for help. Don't be so uncomfortable that you won't ask for help. That's, I would say, the main strategy that that most of us have to to uh, adhere to. And it's not only whether you are are 
uh, are challenged financially or if you're a multimillionaire. It ha- it's for the both of you. It's both sides of it that you have to get financially organized because you can always be financially better. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, a lot of people have a lot of pride around their finances. They don't want to <laughs> let some stranger or someone else know where they really are, you know, because you, you'll walk through the door and you'll walk past the nice car and see the nice house and everything, but then, <laughs> you know, you, you you actually see that they're in crisis and um, it's hard for them to, to sort of lift the veil and, and show really where they're at. You know, I laugh at that uh, that statement. That is, you are absolutely correct. I always I always say to those people that as a financial professional, that financial professional is there to help you. They're not there to make fun of you. They're not there to laugh at you. They're not there to beat you up. And it's almost like when you go to your dentist, your dentist takes pride in, in, in repairing your teeth. The dentist does not does not complain. They do not make fun of. They do not tell you what you did wrong. They're there to help you get better. And let's face it, no one, no one, even yours truly, no one is perfect with their money. There's no perfection when it comes to your finances. What you're looking for when you're looking for a professional is you're looking for good help. So maybe you have purchased that car that may be a little bit more than what you need. Maybe you purchased that home that might be a little bit more than what you need. Maybe you have gotten yourself in a situation where you have uh, uh, gone in some debt and you've filed even to the extent of filing bankruptcy. Maybe you just haven't gotten yourself there and you are ashamed. You are, are, are disappointed in yourself. You feel that the education level that you have, you shouldn't have gotten yourself in that situation. I'm here to tell your listeners that that is okay. It's not about what you did in the past. It's what you need to do right now financially to put your life in order because it's all about you and it's all about your family. It's about your goals, about your dreams. And if you always have that to hold you back, you're never going to move forward and it's going to challenge you not only for the rest of your life, but it's going to challenge you and your family's life for generations to come. Because we are and we should be preparing ourselves not only for them, but for our children and our children's uh, financial futures as well. Wow. Well, I, I thank you for that financial pep talk. And um, I'm sure that's <laughs> taken very well by our listeners as well because we, we talked about some difficult stuff. You know, We talked about really just looking at it and, and stop hiding it and stop avoiding that conversation with your spouse and get your heads together and you know decide to you know commit to you know, doing something about it, you know, well, getting you know, a plan together. And, and it is interesting when you say with your spouse. You know, I, I talk a lot with, uh, I have a, a lot of my clients are are, are single women. And, mm. I, I, and I have a lot of uh, uh, clients who are married. But mm-hmm. I traditionally find that a lot of my clients who come in do want to sit down with me. They'll come in if they're married. They'll come in. And I say, well, you know, you're here. You want help financially. But why didn't you bring your husband? Yeah. And, you know, and she says, well, he doesn't want to be involved in the conversation. And, and, I'm, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to just pick, I'm not, gonna, I'm not picking on, on your listeners who are men, but I'm, I'm asking all men, hey, look, you know, step up to the table. When, when you're with someone, whether you're married, whether you have a partner, uh, or, wh- or whether you're living together, financial matters 
it, it, it equates to both of you. It's not one. And it's better when you both talk about your finances. It's not something that you should not have a conversation about, and it's not going to be something that you can always agree on everything with. You may compromise. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's going to be a lot of compromise as well in order to get things right. Um, someone may have to give up um, some trips to the hair salon. Somebody may have to. Well, but the fact of the matter is there is something that can be done. There, There's a lot of things that can be done, and there are lots of options that we haven't talked about because everybody's situation is a little different. So, you know. That's the whole thing. But what I want to do is take a quick break, Aaron, and we're going to come back and talk a little sure. bit about your new book and, and the direction you're going with that. And we'll just take a, um, a quick minute to take time out for that, and we'll be right back after this. Absolutely. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I want to take a moment to talk to you about a heinous crime against humanity that plagues our nation and, yes, believe it or not, communities just like yours. Here's something you can do today to lend your support in the fight against human trafficking, also known as modern slavery. For example, Tanya was only 11 when she was forced to use her body for her own survival and the perverse desires of others. Now 18, Tanya knows no other life. She can't even remember when she was able to choose how she wanted to dress. Tanya dreams of being a teacher one day, and with the help of Bridge to Freedom programs and your support, they can empower her and others like her to move from surviving to thriving. You can make a huge difference in the life of a survivor this year through your support and donations to Bridge to Freedom Foundation. Bridge to Freedom is a nonprofit organization that provides aid to survivors of slavery who now live in the U.S., such as former child soldiers and victims of sex trafficking and forced labor. The cornerstone of Bridge to Freedom's work is personal and professional development to help survivors adapt and thrive in their new lives and communities and find work to support themselves. The Bridge to Freedom Foundation needs your support to help people just like Tanya. They need your urgent action to ensure that they can continue to provide clothing and health and beauty services to these survivors. These are not only important for rebuilding self-esteem, but are crucial to finding employment. They're also in great need of storage containers and clothing racks to organize and store donations. While donations of needed items are vital, one sure thing that will help to stop the spread of this injustice and prevent it from thriving undetected is educating yourselves about human trafficking or slavery and knowing the signs and the proper authorities to contact if you become aware of a victim in crisis. Find out more at bridgetofreedomfoundation.org or if you have a reason to suspect that someone may be a victim of human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline on 1-888-373-7888. Multilingual call specialists are on standby 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All calls are confidential. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back, Truth Seekers. We're on with Aaron Smith. Aaron, are you back? I'm here, Michael. Okay, great. We we got a little dead air there, but we'll take care of that later on on the back end. So we were talking about your, your new book and your new plan and uh, for success. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, Michael, my, my first book was uh, In the Black Live Faithfully Prosper Financially. Uh, which which is a great book in itself, and it, it really uh, gets into the uh, nuts and bolts of how uh, investment planning works, investments, and how to get you from one point to uh, another point in terms of your financial life. You know, I, just to just to be very quick here, um, in, in terms of uh, my background, um, I grew up in, in Richmond, Virginia. My mother, uh, my my mother Michael had me when she was 15 years old. Mm. Uh, my father. Uh, he was a, a truck driver, and my mother went on to to work as a domestic worker. And uh, I say that to say this is that I did not have a money mindset. I didn't. I wasn't really clear um, as I grew up and as I uh, went into school and even graduated from college. I, I really didn't under, understand really what life was all about. And it's not just about money, but the money allows you to do the things that you enjoy doing in your life with your family. And the book that I am uh, currently working on, uh, and we're still working on the title, but it's going to be somewhere along the lines of repositioning. And I want your, your, your listeners to really take probably this, this part from it, is that in my journey uh, from live, uh, uh, living in a, a, a not well-to-do family and then uh, prospering and seeing wealth, and I'm saying wealth, families who have multi, multi-millions of dollars, what I want you listeners to take away from uh, this book is that it's all about your mindset. It's all about what you observe, what you encounter, who you're around, what you hear, what you watch. And just to give you an example about the book Reposition. Um, one of the things that I, I always find uh, uh, that uh, most consumers do, if, if they can afford this, is they generally, Michael, contribute to their retirement accounts, their 401k plans, and the company matches up to a certain percentage of their salary. What I find is uh, most of the people who can afford it, they always contribute more than what the company matches in their, their retirement account. And the point about the book repositioning is – it's teaching you to take those assets that you may not understand well in terms of how you invest in those dollars and reposition those in a way that's going to maximize for yourself and for your family. Uh, just to give you an example, uh, when you're using the 401K plan and you're contributing to that plan and you're over-contributing, you're actually going to be paying a lot more taxes, which reduces the amount of income or cash flow that you will have in the future. Well, the employers don't educate you on that. Well, what would be better is just to reposition that to, let's say, a tax-efficient or tax-free investment, such as something that's called a Roth IRA. That's, that's some of the basic strategies that is going to be incorporated in this new book. But it's also a product that allows your listeners to really understand how to change that mindset but also change their their investment strategies, investment know-how to proceed or to be financially better for themselves and their families as as they continue to grow. 
Wow, that's great. And we'll be looking forward to that. And, um, you know, before you go, Aaron, too, I want you to go ahead and tell listeners um, where they can still find um, In the Black as well as um, how they can contact you and um, your website and things of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. And, and oh, by the way, and I owe you one. Invite me back. I owe you one. So please do that, if you will. Um, <laughs> okay. Absolutely. And <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you coming on today on short such short notice, you know. Uh, sometimes you, you got it. Anytime you just yeah. call on me, absolutely. And I would certainly be available to you. Um, you. My website is uh, it's www.intheblackretirement.com. Once again, that's intheblackretirement.com. That's that's actually uh, 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 my contact or my website. Our toll free number is eight seven seven three five one two five zero eight eight seven seven three five one Two five zero eight. If any of your listeners out there who are really concerned, not sure about their finances, I will I will give you my ear. Just pick up the phone and uh, give me a call or drop me uh, drop me an email, which you will find my information on the website, and I'll be glad to I'll be glad to give you uh, a couple of pointers. And just to you know clarify that, that's for listeners that are in uh, the DMV or Richmond area as well as those nationally, correct? No, 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 no. It's actually nationally. If you, yes. you know, if you got listeners that are in California, it doesn't matter. Awesome. It doesn't matter where you are. If you need help, uh, you know, that's what that's what our mission is. Our mission is to help people make good decisions, Michael, mm-hmm. with their money. And we'll, we'll be glad to, to do that. It's just, you know, right today, technology is such that, you know, whether you're in Asia, uh, you know, Africa, or you California, and I'm in Virginia, that doesn't that, that's not an issue whatsoever. We still can communicate and get you the best advice that, uh, according to your needs. Okay, thank you, and we we look forward to. And the closer you get to the release of this book, too, we'll definitely have to have you on. If we don't have you on before then, and we really Absolutely. appreciate you taking time out today and coming on it and talking with our listeners, and um, we just look. You know, forward to more great things from you, Aaron, and really appreciate the uh, insight that you've given us today. Absolutely, Michael. Thank you for your time. We'll talk soon. Okay, great. Well, Truth Seekers, well, I want to also thank um, a special thanks to Charles Ellison for um, spending time with us as well and um, sharing his great wealth and knowledge and political um, information um, about the real, real root of um, the current economic crisis that we're dealing with today. And um, another thing, one of my favorite books ever, I, I have to tell you, is Tantrum. Charles Ellison's Tantrum is just an awesome read, and I, I just can't say enough about it. And um, well, and special thanks also to our producer, Donna Hardiman. And um, I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.
got something to say. <laughs> sure. But, uh, not this station right here. We don't just got something to say, y'all. Nah, nah, nah.